Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. This morning, Pastor Dustin is away, and we have a very, very special guest, Dr. Joe McKeever. Now, many of you have probably known of Dr. McKeever throughout the years. He's been a pastor uh, in this area and in the southeast for many, many years. Uh, he also has a, uh, a website and a blog, and if you have never checked out his website, you need to because I'm telling you, the articles that he writes are just full of incredible wisdom, and I've been blessed many, many times through those articles. But then also, you probably saw him uh, this morning uh, drawing some caricatures. You have probably, if you are in Baptist world uh, for the last 65 years, you have probably seen some of his cartoons. They are published throughout uh, Baptist world, and he is uh, just such a great, great person. I know you're going to be blessed by him this morning. Church family, would you help me welcome Dr. Joe McKeever? Thank you, Robert. Good morning, everybody. I, uh, I love East Haven. Been here several times before. This is the first time I've ever been here as an old person. <laughs> I was 80 before when I came, but I was a young 80. And since then, life has hammered me several times and and I'm down 50 pounds, and I didn't want to be, and a lot of other things going on. And uh, I just got old real quickly. So um, when you think of me, if you pray for me, just send up a prayer. Lord, give Brother Joe strength. I would appreciate it. Um, I'm actually here at the invitation of Pastor Phil and your seniors, and... Um, they're going to be having lunch in a little bit, and I'll be over there drawing more. I've been drawing this morning and drawing more of them and speaking to them. And Pastor Dustin graciously invited me to preach, but he said, don't preach this to the seniors. I said, great. So I said, I've been asking the Lord, why do you want me to preach? I've got his answer. Now, if you are a note taker, you've come at a good time. I got some good scriptures and a few things that you want to jot down. If you're not a note taker, it's okay. Just listen. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, he said, When you heard me preach, you heard not just the message of a man, but you heard it for what it was. A message of God. Well, every pastor prays for that. Pastor Dustin prays for that. We all pray for that. Lord, I want your message. Then when I stand to preach it, may the people receive it, not as a word of man, not something I threw together in the study, but this is the word of God. So I want you to know I'm preaching from my grandmother's Bible. Grandma Bessie, Bessie Lowry McKeever, lived 1895 to 1982. 
She was widowed when she was 40. She had 11 children and one, one in the oven. And uh, maybe the greatest Christian I ever knew, my brother and I, my bro- older brother's a preacher, said, we did her funeral in 1982. And later my dad gave me her Bible. He said, don't tell the others you've got it. Because with 12 children and a thousand grandchildren, um, everybody would want it. Well, it's okay now to tell them I've got it. Grandma marked up her Bible. I want you to mark up your Bible. I'm going to short to the seniors and just call their attention to a couple of things. But she really personalized it, and I think that's a good thing to do. So you young people, you, you may be using a machine or something in order to read your Bible, fine, but go to Barnes and Nobles or a Christian bookstore and buy yourself a real Bible and mark it up and personalize it. Those of us with grandchildren, we fill the Bible with our notes and stuff, read through it, mark it up, and gave it, give it to a grandchild. Next year, fill up another one, give it to another grandchild, so that each one of them can say, I have grandpa's, I have grandma's Bible. Romans chapter 8. If you'll go there, please. Romans chapter 8. Most of you know that is a mother load of riches. I know of a pastor scholar who wrote three volumes just on Romans 8. So there's a lot of stuff there. Um, and what the Lord wanted me to talk to you about was your prayer life. Um, actually, you know something about your prayer life, and you're going to be surprised that I know it. You don't pray very well. Two percent two, two of you pray very well. Ninety-eight percent of us are not very satisfied with our praying. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 kind of explains it. It doesn't fully explain it, but it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Bingo. There's a problem. We don't know how to pray as we should. But then he said, but that's okay, because the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I'd like for you to get to know verse 26 a little better. Would you look up this way and help me? Okay, let's learn it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Say that with me. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. One more time, everybody. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Second line says, For we do not know how to pray as we should. For we do not know how to pray as we should. One more time. For we do not know how to pray as we should. And the last says, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, if you, if you can, say the whole thing with me. 
In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I was preaching revival over in South Carolina, and on Sunday morning, it was offering time, and the pastor called on this elderly deacon to come to the pulpit and to lead the prayer. And I got to know him that way. He was a sweet man, but he did something I'd never seen done in his prayer. As he finished his offertory prayer, he kept on talking. And I realized after a little bit, he can't remember how to end his prayer. He's circling the airport. He can't figure out how to get the wheels on the ground. And finally, he ended his prayer the same way you and I have concluded many a visit. He said, thank you. I enjoyed it very much. Goodbye. And he sat up. Anything wrong with ending a prayer that way? Not a thing in the world, except we just don't do it. That's not how we pray. Um, I bought a book one time called Sense and Nonsense About Prayer. The the title was better than the book. I actually know, and you do too, there's a lot of nonsense around about prayer that needs to be so so many hours a day or minutes a day or time today, certain postures of prayer, certain words of prayer, certain places of prayer, and so on. And most of that's nonsense. I, uh, I told somebody one time that, that I, walked, I was living in New Orleans, lived there about 30 years, and I would walk on the levee by the river every morning for about an hour, and I would be praying. And a professor at the seminary heard about that. And he said, walking and praying is, that is no way to be praying. You need to be up, you know, and on your knees and so on. And I thought, I bet the Lord would be surprised to hear that because don't you know the Lord and his disciples often prayed as they walked. Anyway, um, I want to talk to you about your prayer life. And I want to tell you this. 90%, well, let's put it this way. Praying may be the most faith-filled thing you do. It's all about uh, faith. Think of this. When you pray, you're pulling aside to talk to somebody you've never seen and can't even prove he exists. And yet day by day, down through the years, you pull aside and talk to him and tell him the most personal things of your life. And you believe that he's there, that he's listening to you, that he really cares that this is important to you. And then he will answer. And here's the kicker. 90% of the things you pray for, you will never know whether he answered it or not. Because you don't know what would have happened had you not prayed. 
So you pray by faith and leave it with him. And when things happen, you give him thanks. Um, I'll give you a line. Prayer is need-driven and faith-powered. The needs will drive you to your knees. There are people in this room dealing with cancer right now. We prayed earlier this morning for one of our number who has to go to see the doctor in the morning about some physical problem. Needs will really drive you to your knees in prayer. But faith, where you're connected with the heavens, prayer is need-driven and faith-powered. Now go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. We do not know how to pray as we should. You know, there's so much about prayer that you and I do not know. For example, when I pray about something, I don't know who else is praying about that. When something good happens in my life, I don't know whose prayers might be responsible. I don't know what else God is doing in this particular situation. And I, don't, I can't tell you what he's going to do as a result of my prayers. There's so much we do not know. And as Paul says, we do not know how to pray as we should. Now, I knew I didn't know how to pray as we should. And you knew it about you, but we didn't know the Apostle Paul would admit it about himself. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for understanding that this is tough business. But there's good news. There is very good news. Notice the rest of verse 26. It says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Now, I want to confess to you, I don't know what that looks like. The Holy Spirit is in heaven interceding for me. What's he saying? But listen, it gets better. Go over to verse 34. Look at verse 34. Romans 8. Christ Jesus is who died. Yes, rather, who was raised from the dead who is at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? Somebody tell me, what's he doing? He's making that intercession for us. Now look at verse 26. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us. And verse 34, the Lord Jesus is interceding for us. Whoa. Have we locked up our what? We've got two members of, of the Trinity interceding for us. Now, if you wanted to do some really bad theology, you could say the Father is outvoted from the start. But the news is even better because right between verse 26 and 34, we come to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I want you to notice, 
He's not saying if God is for us. He's saying God is for us. Since he is for us, who's going to be against us? It doesn't matter. So here's verse 26 saying the Holy Spirit's interceding. Verse 34 saying the Lord Jesus is interceding. And verse 31 says the Father himself is for us. Are we in good shape? When it comes to praying, (laughs) he's taking all the work out of it. I don't know how it, how it, all fits together. I know this is what the Bible says. I want to tell you a wonderful little insight back in verse 26. Um, I don't know whether you like it when the pastor says, now the Greek word here means so and so. My, My theory is that five of us like it and the other 95% roll eyes. Oh, great. He's telling about the Greek. You're going to love this one. The little word helps in the same way the Spirit also helps. Five letters in English. Seventeen letters in the Greek. Seventeen letters. In the Greek, the word is synantilambanomai. This will not be on the test, so you can just relax and listen. The pre- it's, it's a compound word. You know what a compound word is, where you take two or three words and sum up together. Campground, camp and ground, tree house. These are compound words to put together. Okay. Sin, S-Y-N, is a prefix meaning together or with, like in sync, synchronize. Okay? So... It means together or with. The next is the uh, prefix anti, A-N-T-I. It means against, opposite to, or in front of. We use the word anti all the time. Sin, anti. Lambanomai is a form of the Greek verb meaning to lift. To lift. So here's the picture. In the same way, the Spirit also gets on the other end of our burden and together with us lifts. That's what he's saying. Have you ever tried to pull a cross-cut saw all by yourself? Doesn't work very well. But if somebody gets on the other end and works opposite to you, it works beautifully. Or you're making up a bed by yourself. You're running back and forth. But if somebody gets to another side, you don't have to take a step. They're opposite to you. You're working together, and it gets done. And the Holy Spirit is on the heavenly end of whatever it is you're facing. You're on the earthly end, and he is facing you and working together with you, getting under it and lifting it. And I just think that's a wonderful image. And the Holy Spirit is doing that for you. And for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. What a wonderful thing you're doing. Thank you for...
the confidence that we can pray and for knowing that that you've got this. I have a theory about the Lord interceding for us. Don't don't hold me to this when we see the Lord, but this is just Joe's theory. Um, I I think our prayers in this world are sort of like baby talk. We're doing the best we can. We're speaking earthly language. We're so earthbound. And when our prayer gets to heaven, the Holy Spirit takes that baby talk and says, Father, here's what he is saying. Here's what she is saying. And turns it into heavenly language. Why not? The mother's the mother can tell you what that little baby is saying when she is googling. Dad's not real sure. Mom can tell you. The Holy Spirit knows what we're saying. This, for this reason, I say to you, don't be so negative about your own praying. Go ahead and pray. You and I are sometimes our worst enemy. We actually put down our praying. Well, I know my prayer doesn't amount to much. Or, I'm not very good at praying. Friend, you're doing Satan's work for you, uh, for him. Because his purpose is to stop you from praying by discouraging you from praying. And you're doing it to yourself. Stop it. Pray. Luke 18, 1. And Jesus was giving them a parable. He actually gave them two. To show that at all times they ought to pray. And not to think not to lose heart and quit. At all times, you ought to pray. That's the imperative of prayer. Not to lose heart and quit. That's the alternative to prayer. Why don't you pray? I told Brother Robert during the invitation time today, I want you to do something. Let's don't sing the invitation I want you to come to the altar and pray. Stand here and pray. Kneel here and pray. Sit in the front pew and pray. What do you want to do? Brother Phil or Brother Craig will be here. If you want one of them to pray with you, they'll be delighted to do so. The Lord Jesus said in three Gospels, quoting from Isaiah, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Now, Jesus told the people of his day, you people have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, we've not done that. But I fear we have made God's house many things, house of worship, house of teaching, house of fellowship, and so on. But in very few instances, a house of prayer for all the nations. I go to some churches as a guest preacher, 
When I get up to preach, there's not even been any prayers. How's your praying? You satisfied with it? You might just want to come and pray about your praying. You got somebody on your heart? Somebody lost? Somebody sick? You come and pray for them. And here's the thing. When you ask God for something, you have to be willing to wait on him. Don't run ahead of it. Because he may not answer in the next 30 minutes. Now, I'm going to tell the seniors today about the quickest answer to prayer I had in a long time. And that was about six or seven years ago. My wife had died one year earlier. I was living in the New Orleans area. My son was moving away to Mobile. I didn't have anybody else living down there. And I started praying, Lord, if you have somebody else for me for the rest of the journey, here's what I would like. So I gave the Lord my order for a wife. And a few weeks later, I met her. And we've now been married five and a half years, and she's on the second row. And such a delight and a blessing. And I thank God every day for that quick answer to prayer. Well, I can't promise you he's answered the rest of mine that way, or they'll answer yours, but he might. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. By the way, Am I talking to anybody here who's never been saved? You've never given your heart to Christ? Can I ask you a question? What in Sam Hill are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? I actually sort of know the answer to that question because I've heard it enough, your pastor's heard it. People say, I'm going to do it, preacher, one of these days. One of the days I'm going to get saved. One day, come down that aisle, I get saved. You know what I tell them? One of these days is the biggest scam in the universe. Now, if you're on the internet, you know about scams. This one's right out of hell. Satan knows you're too smart for him to say to you, tell that preacher, I'm never going to get saved and I'm going to die and go to hell. You'd say, oh no, I'm going to do that. He said, tell them just not today. And you get up tomorrow and say, just not today, but one of these days. And tomorrow, next day, you'll say, one of these days, not today. And eventually, you run out of days. Really? You've heard the expression that the road to hell is paved by good intentions. I tell you that hell itself is populated by people who had good intentions. I plan to get saved, I just never got around to it. This is reading the Bible says three times in the book of Hebrews, within two chapters, it says three times, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. And every time God tugs at your spirit and you say not today, you're hardening your heart. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
you know the tugging of God's spirit is your heart, get yourself down the aisle and tell one of these ministers, I need to be saved. He's not going to save you. He's going to pray with you and help you to give your heart to Christ. Tell your story. Johnny Adams got out of the military at the end of the Second World War and was discharged over on the East Coast and was hitchhiking to his parents' home in Indiana. Johnny Adams was a godly young man. And he always tried to share his faith with anyone who was nice enough to give him a ride. And today, he's getting closer to home, and the car that stops to give him a ride is a long, expensive, impressive car. Man pulls the car over the shoulder of the road, kills the engine, opens the door, Johnny throws a devil bag in the back seat, they greet each other, car goes down the highway. The man is very distinguished looking. Johnny's a little intimidated. They're getting closer to Johnny's destination. He realized, if I'm going to witness this guy, I better get on with him. He said, sir, I wonder if I could share something with you. And the man didn't say anything. Johnny just kept talking. John said, I'm a Christian. I always try to share my faith with anyone who's nice enough to give me a ride. The man didn't say anything. Johnny kept talking. Told how the Lord saved him a few years ago, had brought him through the wartime. He came down to the end and said, Sir, if you've never given your heart to Christ, Jesus died for your sins. God will forgive you. If you just repent and turn to him, he will take away your sin and make you a child of God. The man slowed the car down, pulled over on the shoulder of the road, and John Adams said, I honestly thought he was going to ask me to leave. The man killed the engine and dropped his head on the steering wheel and said, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, and gave his heart to Christ. They had a few more miles to go, and Johnny Adams spent the time talking with a man about how to live for the Lord, going to church, reading his Bible, and praying. When Johnny got out of the car, the man gave him his business card. He said, I own a business in Chicago. If you ever get over that way, I'd love for you to come by. He kept that card in his billfold for 10 years. He had to be in Chicago in business. And one day, he dug the old car down, looked up the address, and drove there. And there was a building with a man's name on it. He walked inside, presented the old tattered card to the receptionist. So I'd like to see him. She asked him to have a seat. She went in the back. She came back in a minute and said, his wife would like to talk to you. She ushered John Adams into this big office, huge desk, distinguished white-haired lady sitting behind the desk. She asked him to have a seat. She said, where did you, you get this card? He said, ma'am, 10 years ago, I was hitchhiking back to my parents' home after getting out of the military. Your husband gave me a ride. She said, when? What date? And think about that. He said, Big Bad being November 10, 1945. She said, Tell me about that day. He said, Man, there's not much to tell. He wasn't very talky. 
I did all the talking. She said, tell me everything you said, everything he said. Don't leave out a word. So now I told how he always shared his faith in Christ. How he was a little intimidated. How he told the man about Jesus. The man pulled the car over to the shoulder of the road. Killed the engine, gave his heart to Christ. The woman fell back in her chair. Turned as white as a sheet. She said, I cannot tell you what a shock this is. You see, my husband was killed in a car wreck the next day after giving him a ride. For 20 years, I had prayed for his salvation. But to the best of my knowledge, God had not heard my prayer, and he died lost. I've been so, excuse me, I've been so angry at God I haven't been to church for the last 10 years. I tell you, you don't know what God has done in answer to your prayers. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Don't stop. It's the most powerful force in the world. Don't let the enemy discourage you. Be people of prayer. Be a young person of prayer. Be a, a grandmother of prayer, a mom, a dad. Would you come and join us at the altar, deacons and Sunday school teachers and moms and dads and young people? Stand here and pray, kneel here and pray, sit on a pew, pray with one of the ministers. Would you just stand with us right now, please? Brother Phil, Brother Craig, would you go ahead and take your place here? The musicians can do whatever they want to do. Father, I pray right now. Oh, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Dear Father, help us to be people of prayer. Oh, Lord, you know who this was set for. You know who you intended it for. May they receive it. And Father, there's some unsaved person here. Give them the courage to come. Oh, Lord, give them the courage. Now, heads are bowed, and the people around you are standing there. Our ministers are down here. Would you come right now, please? Just step out and come. Let's fill the altar area. When you finish, you can go back to your seat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for filling the altar area with God's people praying. My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, said the Lord. Oh, let's make it that. Thank you, Father. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You're the one who knows the tugging of God's spirit at your heart. All we ask you to do is to be obedient to him. Would you be obedient? Would you pay attention to that tugging? If you've never given your heart to Christ, don't leave here today. Tell the Lord one of these days. You're playing that little game. You're insulting the Father. Don't do that. Lord Jesus said, I stand at your door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him, 
was up with him and he with me. He said, I'm bringing the blessings of heaven right up to the door, but I will not force them on you. I'll let you choose. You get to choose. You have to choose. Will you be obedient? 